everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy and Charlie here from CS2. Today, we have our guest, Francis Barrero, who's the co-founder and CPO at Mad Kudu. Welcome to the podcast, Francis. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So today, we're going to talk about how AI can transform your marketing. So this is a big topic, um, a lot to dive into. So we're going to go straight to it. So, but I think before we do that, we want to maybe start with, um, for everyone that's listening, uh, Mad Kudu, they probably heard about your platform. Um, but how did you come up with the name Mad Kudu? And that might give us a little bit of insight into our listeners about Mad Kudu and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So um, when we founded the company, we were three engineers uh, with um, two with a background in data science and one in nuclear physics. So let's say that brainstorming for a company name was probably the hardest task in creating the company. <laughs> and so after like filling in like whiteboards over whiteboards, uh, we decided to actually write an algorithm to pick the name of the company. So we actually downloaded a list of adjectives and nouns and we kind of like mashed them together and looked for what would be the cost of SEO if we were to, one what was the cost of domain, what would be SEO like, uh, and we wanted to optimize for a seven letter word. Uh, so we kind of had like a curve based on the length of the name. And so Mad Kudu came out number one, um, which is super wow. fortunate because the second one was uh, HipJ. And given that we have like our engineering organization in France and H's are one of the letters that French people don't pronounce really well, I think <laughs> hip J would have been like a bit of a disaster. So, so that's why we have the little antlers. Uh, so kudu is a form of antelope. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's why we got the mad kudu. That's cool. Do you think if you, you would have 100% just gone with whatever came out number one, even if you didn't like it? It's hard to tell, but I think, I mean, to some extent, maybe or we would have tweaked the algorithm to um to have it make sense yeah because i love the name it's very memorable as well so it's like you've got the perfect name but then also based on all of this algorithm that you built but then also it's actually is a cool name it's very different to a lot of other companies out there so it's yeah. funny because when when we were incubated initially we had a bunch of investors tell us ah no enterprise company is ever gonna you know buy a product that's called that has mad in it it's just like you guys don't sound serious. Um, and it it's funny because like over time, I think because, I mean, we had like a cool story behind it. And I think it relates strongly to the fact that we do um, data science and we do predictive models. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it, it made sense. And, you know, we, we haven't heard a customer yet, um, you know, say, no, we're not going to buy it because your name sounds stupid. So yeah, well, it's kind of like, like mad don't, thing, don't right? listen to, to investors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine anyone not buying something just because of the name. So, yeah. and there's so many companies out there, their name just gets completely eaten up by in in Google search results because it's just some random word that just completely could mean mean something else. So that right. they're on like page three just because their name doesn't. It's just some other word. So yeah, I'm sure you're I always mean, number one. There's not many other mad cooties out there, right? No, for sure, exactly. I mean, at the time, like the two the two first integrations we built were intercom and segment which are two of the worst SEO plays you could yeah. ever do. Like intercom right. for the longest time, you would like type intercom in Google and all you got was like Craigslist ads for like an intercom system. Uh, <laughs> and now they've probably like invested like enough money that now they're like the top search. But anyway, that was like something that again, I guess it's, it'll be one of the topics I think we talk about today, but it's like very much in the, how to keep it pragmatic and just like having, you know, it was in our first rodeo. So knowing that the name you pick 
and where you surface in Google search is going to be fairly important. So trying to, to maximize for that was, uh, was one of their big requirements. Totally. I love that. Okay. So just to kick things off, I think we wanted to get your perspective on how you think about AI when it comes to B2B marketing, because I think for, you know, Charlie and myself and our clients and over the past, like eight, you know, years or so we've used various tools that, you know, do predictive analytics or use AI and maybe have like mixed, um, just experiences with it. And, but things have evolved. And I think when people think of AI too, they maybe hear, think about what they hear in the media or how big companies like Google are using it. So can you maybe educate our listeners around, you know, how to actually best leverage AI and B2B marketing and, and, you know, what that means and, and how it can best be used? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, very often AI is kind of a, you know, a hammer in search of a nail and people are kind of trying to like figure out where they can add some, some AI in their products. And the way I typically think about it is like the, I think the right approach and really pragmatic AI is kind of the next step beyond automation, right? So, you know, everyone says like, start by doing things that don't scale. And then once you figure out what works, then you try to figure out how to scale it. And part of that scaling is automating it. And then at some point, what you realize is that you're starting to have so much complexity in your flows and like your decisions that it makes sense to leverage some kind of AI, which basically is scaling the decision process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think when you, you look at it that way, um, it, it goes back to really knowing what problem you're trying to solve and having a good diagnostic of like, this problem is now being solved in a suboptimal manner and let's try and actually use something more sophisticated to solve it and, and, you know, testing to see that AI is actually going to solve that. But I see a lot of companies um, buy into the allure of AI is going to solve everything and it's just going to be magical. I mean, the same way that I think today intent data and ABM to some extent is also the same thing, right? There's this allure of like, oh, there's leads out there that are looking at your product. They're not coming to your website, but they're really interested in what you have to sell. And if you just like email them at the right time, I can guarantee they're going to buy from you. I mean, it's <laughs> it's so exciting. And I want to buy into that idea <laughs> the same way that I want to buy into the fact that out of like, you know, the tens of thousands of webinar leads I'm generating per month, they are like some, you know, uh, there's gold in there and like diamonds in the rough. And mm-hmm. all I need is just like some more sophisticated algorithm to go and identify those. And yes, then, you know, step three profit. And I think it's um, like, un- unfortunately, the reality is not that great. And there aren't that many diamonds in the rough. And I think it's more about um, AI is going to be really great at um, identifying better nuance. And I think this is where for me, most of the products out there where I can tell it's not going to be great AI is when I look at the demos or the videos they have on the website, like every example they take is like this like salesperson saying like, oh yeah, I got surfaced. It's like VP of IT at a target account. And now I can make my quota. And you're like, mm-hmm. nobody needs AI for that. Like, you yeah. know, executive at a target account signing up for a demo. That's not an AI problem. Like the real problem is going to be, okay, there's this company you know, all the enrichment tools that we're using don't really have that much information about them. We're not sure they're kind of on the edge and that's where AI can actually help 
go find like maybe some more hidden indicators to actually provide you an insight that this is a lead you might want to prioritize versus another. Um, but it's important to realize that AI is really, its impact is gonna kick in into diminishing returns uh, when you've already addressed like some of the like bigger items. Um, and, and if you haven't done the bigger items, um, then it, it is gonna work initially because you're gonna implement a tool that actually takes care of um, you know, the most obvious part. Um, but then it, it kind of can become hard to justify the cost uh, because like a smart executive is going to be like, why don't we just do like, why don't we just reach out to our hand raisers and that's probably going to give us the same result. Uh, and if that's what the AI tool is compared against, then it, it just fails. And I think the last point is maybe historically, if I look at a lot of the predictive vendors and we were talking a tiny bit about this because you folks have a ton of experience with a lot of them, they very much focused on trying to fix uh, an accuracy problem. Like, oh, we need to make sure like our predictions are perfectly accurate all the time. And they approached it, I think was a very engineering perspective of like, we're just gonna look at um, like area under the curve uh, approach. Like, can we predict like 80% of the revenue, things like that. But where I think they missed a massive opportunity and actually not just an opportunity, it's a big threat is that marketers might tend to think in statistics, but reps will think in examples. And so mm -hmm. it only takes one bad example for a rep to lose complete trust in your system. Whereas the marketing team is more going to be look at it statistically because we're, we're mm -hmm. used to looking at, are my campaigns performing? And when you look at the mm -hmm. performance of a campaign, you're not looking at every individual lead. You're saying like, what is the ROI of it? So it's like aggregated numbers, but a very common story I would hear from our uh, from the customers who kind of like switch from one of those predictive vendors to us, like like incredible machine learning, all that stuff. But then they would be, you know, a lead from a university, and that was scored as a super high score. And that's because they would typically pick up that there's a strong correlation between company size and size of wallet. Entirely true, right? IBM has more money to spend than Mad Kudu has on most products. But then if you just like create a linear relationship with that and stand someone from Stanford signs up like, Oh, Stanford, like 3000 employees. That's a big company. Great. That's a great lead. And a rep sees that. And for a rep, that's like, okay, I've lost complete trust. You do not understand what my day to day is. And your tool is really not helping me because it doesn't understand what I do and rebuilding that trust is, is close to impossible. So how do you, how do you approach that problem then? and not fall into that into that same trap because um yeah we see we've seen that mm -hmm. well not hundreds of times probably but like dozens of times over right. the years um the exact same problem where sales see something and, and it can happen with anything right it's not just kind of predictive models it could, it could be anything like be if, oh model. i hate i <laughs> i don't trust marketing at yeah. all because all my mqls are crap you know yeah. So, yeah. but like, but so that's built off a model, right? That's well, it's like kind just of like thinking. A, it's just a, like even if you built your kind of own, lead model type yeah, like thing. built your own MQL model, which is why I think lead scoring, even like ha like man built like scoring models, lost credibility but, sometimes. But at least like the one thing that I'll say about kind of like the more dumb, just like very easy like behavior demographic scoring that you're building Marketo or something, is that at least like a salesperson will then be able to see the data yeah. points that are making up that score. And so then they can say, so it's more, it, it can sometimes be like kind of more, there's less surprises, right? It's like, oh, the industry was this and we've yeah. said these are the right industry, et cetera. So maybe you wouldn't get the university, but, um, but how, do you, how do you think about that? Because 
it is such a problem and I really liked what you said about kind of the, the marketing thinking and sales thinking because so much so much in the past when we've tried to build that trust we would come with statistics like looking at all, all of like our you know MQL to opportunities there's a higher conversion rate between the ones that our model said were good versus the ones that are you know the the, the, the AI and predictive platform you know, was had a lower score, right? We're like buckets into the different score levels for the platform. And there would be kind of a correlated improvement in the conversion rates. But then sales just still, like, you're totally right. They're like, just whatever, that's just marketing speak. I still got this university lead and it was bad. Right. So I'd love and to hear from you. How do you- own thing, uh, Which I think is the answer, right? I think it's, it's twofold. The, the first one is it's really hard um, to feel accountable for something that you're not responsible of, right? So if you have mm -hmm. no control over what's happening, it's super frustrating because even from the for the marketing ops, right, who's in charge of maintaining the the model or whatever like MQLing process, let's say there's this like EDU lead that goes through, or even like a nonprofit, and they're like, we don't sell to nonprofits. Oh yeah, but it's a big company. Um, it it's super frustrating because then you're like, how do I go mm -hmm. and fix this in like the black box machine learning and like there really wasn't like a clear way for marketers to have control over it, which I think is why that kind of wave of like really AI purely driven um, predictive analytics didn't work and people reverted back to Marketo because at least they had control. Like mm -hmm. it's okay yep. to be wrong if you have the ability to quickly iterate, yep. like over time, you're going to get closer to the truth. Yeah. Um, maybe you have less nuance, but at least like you're able to change and like, you know, take the feedback of the rep. So I think one really critical thing is, and that's and what we're doing in the platform is we want our um, champions, like the marketing ops team to have full control over what's in the model, full visibility. They can see like all the decisions, why they're happening, how they're happening. And they have all these like kind of overriding layers where they can say, well, regardless of what statistics tell us, I always want to reject like these kind of people or this kind of stuff, which again, like if you think of the baseline is I, what would I build in Marketo? So I think that was like the big thing is starting with what is the baseline and how do I make sure my platform is an improvement on the baseline, mm -hmm. but not necessarily something completely different that doesn't really even meet the baseline in the first place. And I think that's where a lot of the initial predictive analytics fail. So control is a big one. And then, um, like building trust in transparency for the end user, uh, the sales rep, I think is really critical. And so that's why for um, very early on, we um, started building like two kind of sets of models. So there's a model that's predictive and the goal of it is to just be as accurate as possible of a representation of what statistically has happened historically on like what converts, what doesn't convert. And we can talk a bit about how we built it, but we took a, like a very, very basic approach there. And the second part was like, we needed an explanatory model. How do we extract uh, you know, the most easy to understand signals that would justify why this lead or this account was scored the way they were so that we can make sure that you know, the rep understands and at least they can disagree and say, oh, actually I, this industry is marked as a positive. I disagree with it. But at least there's a conversation with marketing. of like, it's, it's not that um, you know, I think your, your MQLs are like, the leads are bad and uh, we go into like the typical marketing sales kind of fight, but rather I don't think this is a good industry. And then marketing can come back with like examples of, well, actually it is because like, here are some examples of things that have closed in the past. And that's in our platform, we've built it in a way that whenever um, 
you look at like a specific industry, company size, or like segment that's narrower, like company size, industry, job title, you're actually able to go see a list of examples of historical leads that either converted or didn't. So that you actually can really see the data as if you were looking at it in Salesforce. And say, okay, like these are examples of deals that were closed recently and fit into this profile. Now we can, we can disagree and we can say, okay, like even though we did close these people, we no longer want to do it. Let's add a rule that says never, you know, hand these over to sales. Fair enough. But at least we're having a discussion that's grounded in, you know, low level data. And by low level, I mean like individual records. And it's not like these kind of statistics that are unfortunately a little bit meaningless to most people. So, so those are two things I would say. Yeah, really one is like building trust with like a lot of transparency. And the second one is making sure that the marketing team has full control uh, over the um, um, the tool itself. Yeah, I think the the control part is key. Um, I recently was in a in a group of um, of leaders of marketing and CMOS, and we were presented uh, a pitch from a team uh, that's using AI for um, you know figuring out which channels to invest. It's more like attribution. And everyone quickly said, well, what happens if we change our go-to-market strategy? What if all the things that we, yeah. you know, sold into before, we mm -hmm. don't want to sell into those companies anymore. And they were kind of like dancing around that. And you could tell like there wasn't a lot you could really adjust with the model quickly to, to account for that. So I think, like you said, having that control to be able one to see the data and then you can actually say, okay, well, exclude all of these types of customers are from this point because actually where we're going now, we don't want to sell to those people. It was maybe too expensive for our team to actually get them ramped. It just didn't, doesn't make sense for our, our business. And so I think the control piece is a hundred percent like, right. And then, like you said, showing those examples, because that's, you know, really for, for marketing ops and for the sales team, but like to have that conversation, you do need to see those examples to really like understand. Um, and I, I think that, uh, marketing ops people are sophisticated enough usually to like want to make those changes. And when you're flying blindly, that's even, it almost even feels worse than having right. just spent all the time building the model yourself. So mm -hmm. I do think that that's key. Um, I mean, look at like self-driving cars, right? People are freaking out at the idea that like this machine is going to make decisions. And the funny thing is like, you can argue statistically saying, look, like statistically self-driving cars are going to cause less accidents than people will. You just need one accident caused by a self-driving car yep. for every single person to lose complete trust in the system. <laughs> and like, that is very similar to the issue we're having here, right? Where we, um, there's like a, a typical thing where, whatever you build, you always think is 10 times better than it actually is. And whatever someone else builds, you, you always think is 10 times worse than it actually is. So mm -hmm. to actually be able to build something that someone is going to believe is better than what they have, it needs to be a hundred times better. Like the barrier is incredibly high because we have this like inherent distrust. Um, and I think the, the market in general, unfortunately, over the past, I would say like 10, 15 years, has been educated towards like focusing on AI and machine learning instead of data mm -hmm. science. Like our our actual like mission at MathKudu is democratizing data science for B2B marketers because the challenge that we have, and even what you were talking about in attribution, the challenge is not machine learning, it's data science. It's like there's a ton of data everywhere. It's like, how do I make sense of it 
but there's not a unique way of making sense of it, right? We first touch attribution, last touch attribution, like mm -hmm. fractional uh, attribution. There's so many ways of looking at it and not, there isn't one that's right or wrong, but it's actually looking at it through the different lenses that's going to give you a better picture of what's happening and is going to inform your strategy. And I think what we need is data science and being able as marketers to get access to that data without having to pay some like, I mean, PhD or like a business analyst that changed their job title to be able to do this, but rather have tools that help us mine the data and get insights that can inform the strategy. But the machine learning part is, it really doesn't help that much. And even if you look at like outreach and the, like the AI that they have, which is like classifying if some, like a response from a prospect, is it like a, yes, I want to talk or like unsubscribe yeah, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. But that's like, ultimately it's really more data science than it is like hardcore AI. And this is where it is nowhere near the deep learning of what Google is doing, where it's like really experimental. And you're like, how do I, you know, learn how to recognize a cat through YouTube videos. That is not a challenge that marketers have today. There might be like some smaller areas where, where they do have those kind of challenges. And this is like how also at Matkudu, we approach this from like the kind of scoring algorithms themselves. It's like, it's very basic. It's like, think of decision trees where like, you have a lead. Is it a personal email? Yes or no. Okay. It's not a personal email. Is it a big company or not? Yes or no. What kind of industry is it? Is it like an industry that works well? Yes or no. And ultimately, even just doing that basic segmentation, which is what a rep does when they look at a lead, you realize that you end up with like small clusters that are already like homogeneous enough and like have differentiated conversion rates enough that that is a good scoring algorithm. Now, the challenge is if you don't have the information, how do you um, yeah. infer some of the data points. Like you don't have the company size. Well, can you guess the company size based on the Alexa rank in the industry? Yes. And that's where now you can build machine learning in the background to kind of like try and predict the missing data points to be able to allocate people. But the decisions of like how you put people into a bucket, there's nothing that needs to be sophisticated there. And actually the more sophisticated it is, the less adoption you're going to get from it. Um, yeah. And I think that's where like they trust it probably because exactly. it's too complicated. Right. Yep. Totally. I, I can't explain it. The, yeah. I think that the biggest thing to like two things that you mentioned that when people ask me about platforms like yours, that I think is really valuable. And I think is, you know, not having enough data. So not, not having the access to the data or not being able to operationalize it in a way where you can like build a model that way. And then and the second thing is just access to that data. So if you're building a scoring model in Marketo, and this would be a great thing to talk about because you talk about working with your data science team who maybe, um, you know, ports all of their usage data or product data into Snowflake, but then you are sub, you know, at the will of them even getting that data into you in a way that you can really operationalize. But a lot of that isn't sent to Marketo. It can't be sent to Salesforce. Like you said, before we jumped on, on the podcast is, those systems can't handle that volume, um, but also it's just hard to do, right? It's just, it's a hard thing to do. So how do you think, you know, where do you see like the future? Like, cause I think Medicaid is doing this, but I do think that there needs to be a place or access to data from a bunch of dis different systems that you can use, but it won't be in those platforms like your market automation platform or Salesforce to use it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's a great question and it, it is definitely something that we see and we have these, so we try to gather a lot of these graphs from our customers where we see like their, uh, we call it the modern data stack, like how data flows across their systems. 
I mean, the first thing that, I mean, you mentioned quickly, and I think is really important for everyone to, um, <clears throat> to understand, and I, I think it's the future, like Snowflake is the core data warehouse. It is the customer data center. Like that's where mo all the data is gonna go. And that's the source of truth. Like Salesforce has lost that battle. Marketo has lost that battle. It's never gonna be one of those systems. Like it's so cheap to send data to Snowflake that it's impossible to have it sent anywhere else. And so now the question becomes, how do we make sure there's an easy way to propagate data from uh, Snowflake into the go-to-market systems? And I think this is where there is going to be a big battle, and, and we see it today. And we see our direct competition as being the um, data ops systems, right? Because on the one hand, you have a lot of tools that are starting to be built, even if you think of like the old um, uh, tools like, you know, like Jitterbit or mm -hmm. MuleSoft that got acquired yeah. by Salesforce. Like there was this idea that we need to make it easy for um, like an ops person to push data from one place to another. Uh, and now we're seeing kind of the rise of tools like DBT that can build like small aggregations and then like a high touch or a census that's going to push data into a Snowflake or sorry, into a Marketo or even a Workado. The problem with those systems is that once again, marketing has no control over it. And so may it be kind of a, a vendor that's kind of building a black box where it's going to do everything automatically or having to go through your ops team you still have this problem where marketing today their main challenge is the world is constantly changing i mean covid was an unfortunate but but good example of how quickly marketers have to react to these like global changes and even like market trends and if you are you know held hostage by data ops teams, then you can no longer be reactive. Like you can't ship a new campaign quickly and say, oh, like all the people who like use this feature two days ago, we want to send them a campaign, invite them to a webinar. Like that's going to take a week to build. And then, you know, the data is going to be missing to some extent in Marketo. And then as a marketer, you're going to fail because you don't have the, you know, data stack to actually support your team. So that's actually where we see ourselves fit in as being this kind of um, like I said, data science studio, but for marketers. So it's not designed for someone, you don't need to have a data science background, but is able to pull data from Snowflake, pull from a bunch of enrichment vendors without you having to figure out how do I enrich it in Salesforce or in Marketo? How do I merge fields? If I have Zoom Info, Clearbit and HD data, I have now three employee counts, like which one do I take, when, how, why? Like there's so many like operational questions around the manipulation of the data. They aren't that complicated, I guess, from a business context perspective, but they are comp they're made complicated technically because there hasn't been a tech stack built for marketers to leverage uh, the data that's out there. So that's really where we think there's a huge opportunity in the market to serve the go-to-market teams with something that enables them to leverage all that information that's out there. Because otherwise, the teams that can't do that, I think, are going to lose compared to the teams that have the ability to react quickly because, mm -hmm. and especially in the PLG context where they can leverage the product data to build better segmentation and therefore like better personalization, be more relevant and, and be more on point and like have a better, like, uh, I guess, grip on what's happening in their business. How do you get all of that data and then make sense of all of that data and then are able to get the data in Salesforce because as you were speaking there, I completely agree, right? We have all of these systems, so much data. We have even in just 
one platform we probably have some i've seen some clients like 10 fields for the same data point right so, so it's like there's that problem there's how we get the data around this product there's data in the product and then there's some of that data might have been pushed to snowflake but not all of it and so it's like how does mad kudu come in and even just collect that data and and collect it in a way that you're able to then provide that to the marketing team to be able to leverage yeah, and so there are a couple of things. I think if we think even like from the really end result perspective, I think it all goes back to at the end of the day and what like the best marketing ops people that we talk to are, are really great at is having empathy with their sales reps and figuring out what can I do that's going to help my reps close faster, be more relevant. And very often, you know, the kind of, I want to say kind of lazy approach is like, let's just give them everything, right? And then they can figure out what's relevant. But the really smart ones, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, so we have different like personas that we know we serve really well. So now let's create a persona field. And now the question is like, how do we actually segment people and different leads, contacts or accounts into these personas? And now comes the challenge of, okay, from a pyramid perspective, like at the end, like you're saying, I just wanna fill in a persona field because that's gonna tell my rep, this is who you were talking to and you know what kind of playbook to apply. If we're just thinking of like firmographic and we could talk about behavior afterwards. And now you have, okay, you have like, we said Zoom Info, HG, Clearbit. You also have like maybe some declared information like people fill in their company size. And now there's a question of like, how do you like merge all these fields together? And you can, you know, have some rules to um, say, okay, like we're gonna take these different values and make sure that we try to have as complete of a customer record as possible. So Mad Kudu ingests all of that into our platform. And then we have a system to actually have a marketer say, well, like my defaulting logic for these attributes that I know are important, like company size, I want to use declared. If there's nothing declared, then use Clearbit. If Clearbit didn't get it, then use Zoom Info, Zoom Info, whatever. Or we can have like more complex logic. If, if Zoom Info says it's like more than a thousand, then use Zoom Info. If it doesn't, then look at Clearbit. Clearbit says more than a thousand, use that. So essentially thinking of if you were to do it in Marketo and you could have like all the time in the world, like what are the complex rules that you would build to define these like core attributes that you know you need to have like company size, industry, job title, and then like some things that are more specific to your business. Uh, putting all of those together and then figuring out how those combinations actually create these different personas and then being able to just export that as a field uh, in addition to using that persona as kind of an attribute in, uh, in the model. And on the behavioral side, it's very similar where it's a matter of, um, again, there, there are two things, right? There's models and, and signals for the sake of saying, we're telling you this lead is really engaged and I want to build trust with the reps. So it's like, what kind of aggregations do I show? Like, oh, they've, you know, they've uh, responded to five webinars in the past 90 days and they've been active seven days out of the past 14 in our app and they've done like two activation events and they've invited two people. Those aggregations are super relevant in helping the reps think, okay, yeah, like you're telling me this is someone who might be ready to buy. Yes, I agree. Um, so that's like one field where we're saying like, these are the aggregated like summary, but then it doesn't yet help them understand, but what do I tell them? Okay, great. They're, they're engaged, but now what is the right message or the right sequence to put them into? And that's where now there's a need to, to work with the enablement team to figure out out of all the outreach sequences or like how we actually, you know, um, share the value that we think our product can deliver for customers. How do we now align that with a different behavior? And then you can build, um, you know, whatever, like some rules to populate a field that's going to tell you like the most, you know, the recommended sequence is X, Y, Z. Um, and, and this is something that I think 
yeah, companies struggle a lot with of even just like spending it's 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 a lot of effort right spending the time to figure out mm-hmm. if i as a marketer with my sales leaders if i look at these 100 leads like what is the right sequence to send them and this is where a lot of plg companies fail is they're really good at you know getting people super excited about the product using the product and then someone is going to raise their hand and say hey i want to talk about enterprise great easy like the rep is like yeah yeah here's my calendly book a meeting opportunity great and then at some point they realized, well, that's cool, but we have no control over the volume of MQLs that we're generating from the product because we can't just manufacture hand raisers. And so mm-hmm. then they started saying, okay, well, let's just reach out to PQLs, like, you know, leads that are active in the product, but haven't raised their hand. And, oh my God, gasp, conversion rates are super low. People don't respond to those emails. And mm-hmm. what a lot of companies fail to realize that is the same kind of gap is what you have in inside sales of going from responding to hand raisers to trying to book a meeting with a webinar uh, mm-hmm. attendee. There's the same gap. Yep. Like you're, this is like, it's an outbound motion. You have to sell to that person and justify why they should spend 30 minutes of their busy day talking to you because it's going to help them in the future. And a lot of companies really struggle with that. And, and I think it's, it's one of the big challenges where companies don't realize that they they have to structure the customer journey a little bit more before just saying, oh, like this person is active, just like send them over to sales and be successful. Mm-hmm. So beyond even like the scoring component, there's a really complex sales enablement uh, challenge to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even like educate. I mean, one of the things like I think marketers don't realize is how much more like education or upfront kind of education you need for prospects like they just kind of what you said they just expect okay you know someone went to a webinar and they know exactly what we do it's like well not so much you know or even someone that's you know signed up for a trial or self-serve they maybe did you know a few things but they're but like you said until they've even raised their hand it's hard to say like what level of education do they really need or how much like do you have to point them to certain like jobs that they need to do that they can do within the product and how they would, you know, approach that. So hundred percent, like more enablement and, and, and I, this always comes back to, and I think this is a good place to end it, but a lot of marketers will always think of, you know, AI or machine learning as being this like silver bullet, like this is going to help me hundred percent automatically. Like you mm-hmm. said, we're going to just like turn this on and see results and people you know are thinking oh you know it's gonna like replace people's jobs it's like no you always need like a human factor human mm-hmm. element to to you know operationalize this and but the exciting part is okay well let's leverage ai but give just the power or empower a marketing ops person who's not super technical but technical enough to actually make those business decisions, let's give them that, let's put that power in their hands. And that's what I love um, about what we talked about today with Mad Cutie. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, in a lot of companies, like we see that when, when we start talking about, oh, like, you know, someone's going to say, oh, we should use Mad Cutie to do this. And then someone internally is like, oh, wait, I'm a data scientist. I could do this. <laughs> and it's not about like, could you do this? Of course. Like, I mean, what we built, we built. So it is, you can do it. It can be built. 
the question is, is it the right uh, use of your time to actually be, you know, working totally. on the same thing for marketing ops, right? Should marketing ops be spending all of their time kind of maintaining these like complex rules and things like that? Or should they be spending time kind of understanding what's happening and like being given insights so that they can actually start informing the strategy and helping the CMO figure out like what is actually happening um, in the business? What are what is working, what isn't, and therefore like help improve the business. I think it's the, the trade-off should always be, well, if you don't have to work on this, like what are the other things, like the yeah. next thing that you could be working on? Um, and and I think that's something that a little too often, I mean, lead scoring is, is exciting because it seems super simple to build and it is super simple to build something that kind of works. It's like when you try, when like going to the next step is where it's hard. So like everyone gets excited, like, oh yeah, I'm a data scientist. I can build this and I'm excited about it. Say, so, well, you realize that now you also have to build a pipeline that's going to take the data from Snowflake, score it every day, reliably make it available to every single record in Salesforce on a like hourly basis. And if it's not there, salespeople are going to come at you and they're going to say like, why isn't my data there? And that reliability part is something that people don't realize it's gonna, it, it takes a huge amount of time. Um, oh. It is absolutely not sexy. Um, and and it is like a core requirement because a lead score that lives in a Google spreadsheet or in a like Python model is great, but it's not useful if the reps are not able to use it because either they don't believe in it or it's just not reliably um, available out there. Totally, yeah. And I think one of the things that we talked about at the, at the beginning was how it's not you're still allowing some feedback right you're able to kind of like give some feedback put in some of those safeguards so it's not like in what we were dealing with with predictive about eight years ago where it's like you got to like this score or lump it right you either take right. it or not you can't do anything about it but like you're kind of this complementary package where you've got ai to help but then there's going to be some human intervention here as well so that that control is still like like you said kind of really helping that marketing ops team not just like taking over their job they do have some control in their hands and some power and then you're just enabling them to just do even more so that's where i think definitely right. as ai's or like the companies that are focusing on ai moving in that direction it's going to be easier easier more easy to be adopted and um help everyone be successful and i think that's the one like maybe the thing i'll leave people with is like really figure out if what you need is data science or what you need is machine learning or ai and i think like the, the attribution example is another great one where I don't want necessarily the perfect model. What I want is an easy way to look at results and like have be able almost to like run different simulations. Like again, like first touch, last touch, multi-touch. And what if this, what if that, that is data science. Like there, there isn't necessarily machine learning behind it. And, and that like the need in that case is data science, not machine learning. There are some other cases where if it's like, you know, auto classification of Zendesk tickets, that is like a machine learning problem. It's like mm -hmm. a very, very specific and narrow machine learning problem. Um, and in that case, it makes sense. So I think really understanding the difference between the two is something that people should read a little bit into just to make sure that they don't get um, bamboozled for lack of a better word into buying a platform that actually is not gonna deliver on mm -hmm. the actual need that they have. Totally. Well, this is great, Francis. I think this is so, you know, educational for all of our listeners. And 
I love um, all of the example you used today. So thank you so much for being on today's podcast. If if anyone who's interested in learning more about Mad Kudu, you can check out madkudu.com, right, Francis? Yep. Madkudu.com. All right. Um, and check out Francis Brero on LinkedIn. We'll include a link to his profile uh, in the description. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, share it with your colleagues and friends, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.